This is Edgewood Sermon Audio with sermon number 25 from the Gospel according to Luke. This sermon was preached on June the 6th, 2021. As always, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me, Pastor Matt Harmless. Let's pray and uh, then we will dig into this next chunk of Luke. This next chunk is a, the teaching of Jesus. So Jesus is going to start teaching. So we've been looking at all these different things. We've had little snippets of what his message looked like. But this is a sermon of Christ. I'm going to break it down bit by bit. Uh, so let's begin with a word of prayer. And then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you again for your word and for Luke. I thank you that uh, we're able to gather together to hear your word, to learn from it, to sing together, to praise you. I thank you for all of those things. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I don't know if you had noticed or not, but there's a bit of a divide in our world lately. Has anybody else noticed that? Is that just me? Uh, a bit of a bit of a split going on in the country. Anybody feeling that tension at all? Just my imagination? Okay. Um, could, would, it, would it be crazy of me to describe this split as kind of leaning? There's some that are leaning to the right and some leaning to the left. Is that, that crazy? Um, that's right. Okay, okay. We're all on the same page then. Um, I would like to point out for a couple reasons, and we'll get to those as we go. I'd like to point out that not all on our side are on our side. I heard an illustration uh, this last week. I was reading a book called Rules for Reformers and um, gave an illustration I thought was very valuable. He said uh, in this, there we go. <clears throat> he says in order, he's talking about cooperation in this Rules for Reformers. He's talking about who to cooperate with. And he says in order to sort out how we should and should not cooperate, we have to begin by distinguishing allies and co-belligerents. And he gives an example. In the Second World War, we were allies with Great Britain. We were fighting the same foe for roughly the same reasons. We were co-belligerents with the Soviet Union, meaning that we were fighting the same foe for completely different reasons. I think that's a great illustration. I'll give you an example in our day and age. There are a lot of people in our country who are pro-life. Okay, Besides us, there's... Plenty of other Christians out there, and then you have, trying to branch out, there's Catholics, there's Mormons, there's all kinds of people. I've met a pro-life atheist. Um, I've met some very mystic pro-life people. A lot of people that are pro-life for a lot of different reasons. And in some cases, it won't matter much until we decide what to do about the abortion clinic, for example. What are we going to do? Are we going to offer free uh, adoption services? Are we going to try to put ultrasounds out front? of the abortion clinic, um, where as you know, in our world today, in the past several years, there's been people who have decided different methods of stopping this, this by killing the doctor or bombing the clinic, right? Those people were pro-life, but obviously approaching it from a very different method. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that as we get this right and this left. There's a lot of us that have leaned right and we're finding there's not everybody over here is going to think or act or do the same things that we're doing. 
I mentioned this, why I'm talking about this is because this is precisely what we see in Christ's ministry at this moment that he's in. You see this split. In fact, I'm going to read this real quick, um, the very beginning of the introduction of uh, this passage we're going to look at. Let me go ahead and read that real quick. Um, chapter 6, verse 17. And he, Jesus, came down, and, uh, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. There's the people all over the place going, we're coming to see Jesus. Okay? They came to hear him, to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. So the crowd is a great crowd of disciples, people who at least to some degree have said, we're following Jesus, but it's also this multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast, Tyre and Sidon, and they're there, notice, for a multitude of reasons. And we're going to see, in fact, I'm going to mention a, one of my commentators right now, Daryl Bach, he put it this way. He says, the rise of division about Jesus in 517 to 611. Do you remember what, do you know what he's talking about there? Remember the Pharisees started going, remember he's like with the tax collectors and the sinners? And everybody's like, yeah, tell those Pharisees, right? The establishment, the Pharisees are like, yeah, in your face, Pharisees, right? This is Jesus, he's on our side. And they're, they're getting pumped up about this Jesus, and he's doing stuff for them, and they all go out to see him. And it says this rise of division about Jesus in 517 to 611 has set the stage for an additional contrast. We're going to see now as Jesus says, okay, so that for Jesus, these people here, these people here, and all the people over here that are like flocking to Jesus, he comes right at him with this beginning of the sermon, and he lays out something. He says, there's two types of people right here. Every listener belongs in one of these two camps. The question is, which one? A little bit more background on this text. You guys have heard of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew? This is Luke's version of that. Many people call it the Sermon on the Plain because, notice it started off, it came down with them and stood on a level place. A lot of similar things going on between Matthew's uh, rendition of this and Luke's, very similar I think they came from a similar source, but it's not meant to be, this is just one sermon Jesus preached. This is meant to gather this idea. This is, this is the type of thing that Jesus preached. This may have been one specific sermon. It may have been several different ones, and he preached at different places that these men have compiled. But this is directed towards people who have at least to some degree said, we're following this guy. That's highlighted at the beginning of the next verse. He lift, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, so the audience here is disciples. Don't dig into that too much. That does not mean that every, we're going to see that every single person is a true disciple. We just saw a glimpse of that previous to this. When Jesus said, I'm going to pick of all my disciples, I'm going to pick these 12 to be my apostles. One of them would betray him. So you have to understand that he, yeah, he's aiming it this way at people who say, I'm going to follow. But amongst the followers, there could be some other distinctions that are not detectable at first. Now, let's jump into this teaching. In Matthew, we have the Beatitudes. Who's heard of the Beatitudes? Right? The blessed, blessed, blessed. Luke has four Beatitudes. 
but he also has four woes that Matthew doesn't have. And they match up with these four beatitudes that Luke shares. And so what I'm going to do the next four weeks is I'm going to share one of these, the blessed and the woe that go together. I'm going to share those. So we're going to look at 620 and 624 today. That's what we're going to look at. So let's jump right into 620 where Jesus says this, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed means blessed or happy. Um, one commentator put it this way. He said, declaring someone happy, contented, blessed, or fortunate was common in the ancient world. You see this throughout the Old Testament. There's different places where this happens. But this is just a way that a teacher would many times say, who are the happy ones? These people. Blessed are these people. I think about this from several weeks ago. In fact, just listening to the praise time, there were several of you who were like, I was so blessed to have this, or I was so blessed to have that. I was thinking about, uh, I shared uh, several weeks ago about a teacher, and uh, Donnie's been helping me remember to do this, where, hey, how you doing? What do we say? Blessed. Blessed. Right? Instead of just saying, oh, I'm fine. Blessed. It's an acknowledgement of something. We're not the only ones that do this kind of thing, though. You ever seen this? Now, for those of the older folk in the crowd, that's that's not a tic-tac-toe sign. That, that's not a number symbol for the, to the youngins in the room. That's, come on, youngins, tell them what that is. Hashtag. Yeah, it's not even a pound sign anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a hashtag. You, you're, you, you, you're up there. You're, uh, the youngins. Sorry, Matt, you missed. Uh, hashtag. And people love to do that because they put it on their social media posts. That's done on computers. Phones. Too snarky? Okay, take it back. Hashtag blessed. And a lot of people do this, and they think about how they do this. What do they do a lot of times? Got myself a brand new boat. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> right? Or somebody, somebody they, finally, they finally get their dream home. Dream home. Maybe they're in front of it. Selfie. Hashtag blessed. Right? The ones that always annoy me are the ones that go on the beach vacations because I wish I was there. You with Jimmy Buffett. Hashtag blessed, right? And they're, they're there just relaxing. They're doing exactly what I want to do, which is nothing. Hashtag blessed. Sitting in their like, lounge chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is this not what, yeah, some of you are like, he took a picture of my wallet. <laughs> Is this not what Jesus just said? The poor, destitute of wealth, destitute of influence, no place of, posi- no position of honor, no position at all, really are the poor, lowly, afflicted, helpless, powerless to accomplish any end. The poor, and Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Happy are the poor. You going to start doing that from now on on your social media posts? I could have done that this week. After our meal, go out, flat tire, 
on the van. Hashtag blessed. I should have done that. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he would either. No hashtags. But notice, this one's going to be different than the other ones we have later. I just want to point it out now. This is going to play into our thought process. Blessed are you who are poor. It's right now. Are poor right now. For your, This is going to be different than the next two. The next two verses. You can scan ahead if you don't believe it. The next two are going to say something is going to be this way. But for these, he says, yours is. Present tense. Right now. The kingdom of God. I want you to, number one today, I want you to grab a hold of that thought. This is what Jesus is saying. Now we're going to try to figure out what he means by that. And how it relates to the world that we live in. And how you live your life. But grab on to this. He says the poor kingdom of God is theirs right now. So when you don't have anything. No place of position. No, no position of honor or value. You can't. I mean poor. You my friend. Are experiencing the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Now, to break this down a little bit, I had to do a lot of digging because I thought, you know what, I, I, I just want to kind of get a, a broad view of some of the ways that the Bible talks about poverty and wealth. Okay? So I'm going to go back to Abraham, way back in Genesis, because Abraham was one who many times was blessed by God. In fact, it says it specifically. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Speaking specifically of all his stuff. There was other things there too. We know if you know the story of Abraham. But that was part of it. In fact Abraham's servant that he sent. Went and find, to, to go and find a, a bride um, for his uh, son Isaac. That servant when he gets to a certain place. Says the Lord has greatly blessed my master. He finds these people. And he's like he's trying to win over this, this bride for his master. He said the Lord has greatly blessed my master. He's become great. He's given him flocks and herds. Silver and gold. Male servants and female servants camels and donkeys and so abraham was like yeah blessed <laughs> picture abraham got my camels hashtag blessed when you get to the proverbs you hear some similar things played out and some of you know these things not just because the wisdom of the ages but seriously because of life. Proverbs ten fifteen, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. You know this if you have any of this. The poverty of the poor is a ruin. How about Proverbs fourteen twenty? The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. But even there, it may not be all it seems to be at first glance. In fact, listen to this other proverb a little bit later. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. There's that again, but what does it say? And like a high wall in his imagination. Oh, you start to get glimpses of the reality. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And here, and think about this one. Proverbs are always like these differentiating things and saying these different things in different ways, but like it's the same thing, different way to say it. 
And notice the contrast here. You read this verse here and you go, on the one hand, you got the riches, and the other hand, you have, doesn't have, it's not, it doesn't say the poor. What does it say? The righteous. The connection between rich and poor and righteous and wicked is not always clear and sometimes muddied, but clearly, God makes both. Consider Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. The idea is presented here that ultimately rich are not rich because they were smarter and poor are not poor because they were dumber. Although I'm going to be honest with you, doesn't that, it kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. But even when it does, what's happening is that you got rich people might get rich because they're, they're, they're doing these, these godly principles. And sometimes that works out this way. But let's be honest. You got some people do everything right and it doesn't work out that way. So let's establish a first principle. Let's just acknowledge it right now. In the end, ultimately, God makes poor and makes rich. Acknowledge that right off the bat. We just sang a song that was saying something very similar, were we not? Blessed be the name of the Lord who, and what did, what did my wife point out? Who does what? Right? Job chapter 1. Job, who was wealthy and then lost everything. And we, you read the story, and it's like, man, Satan got him bad. But then Job says something here. After he's lost everything, and he's sitting in the dirt, and he didn't have anything anymore. Including his own children, who've all died. And he's sitting there. In the dirt, and he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives. God takes away. Think about this. And happy is God, right? That blessed, happy is God. God is happy is he that's done this. Throw that in there. But then, in case you wonder if that was just Job speaking, the author makes comment afterwards. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In other words, when Job just said that, he wasn't wrong. So ultimately, Job knew who gives and who takes away. It's God. Satan doesn't even get any, he didn't even get honorable mention. But I don't want you to miss the bless. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God makes rich and God, God makes poor. <laughs> and God is happy with both in his purposes. You realize that? This is a whole other topic we could go on. But God is never up there going like, doggone it. That's not what I wanted. He's like, joyful in what he does in the work of his hands he does all that he pleases to do let me tack on to the back end of this one here that's from one perspective the other side if you 
haven't noticed it already, I think we can pinpoint this. Riches and poverty can be equally as treacherous, seemingly so. Go back to the Proverbs. There's another principle here. So we've got God makes rich and poor. He's happy in how he does that and who he blesses in which way. But a wise person starts to realize the treacherous nature of both and says, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? There's the treacherous nature of riches. Or lest I be poor and steal. And in stealing, what do you do? Profane the name of my God. There's some treacherous reality in both. They both have issues, but God brings about both for his purposes. Now let's dig into the New Testament a little bit, because there's a lot of passages in the New Testament that bring this up again, and you start to realize there's a seeming slant when you get into the New Testament when it approaches these topics. How about this one? You've probably heard this one. The rich man, rich young ruler. And Jesus said, he says, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, do these things. Go, okay, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says the rich man walks away very sad because he has lots of possessions. And then Jesus makes a statement. I know you've heard it. He says to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Or how about Timothy? Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9. says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Hashtag ruin and destruction. <laughs> okay, and if, if, if you're still like, I can see it's a little bit slanted. I'll just read one more. Jesus' earthly brother, who eventually became a follower when his brother was back from the dead, he writes this. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. And your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last day. I don't think there's a lot of people making the pretty sign. Like the hashtag bless sign. I think that we, we ought to put a sign up on our wall. Flesh eaten like fire. Hashtag. Not many people making that sign are there. I just got this awesome big house. I just got this great big thing. I just got this, right? James has some hard words for that. Principle? There's a seemingly, I would say, greater danger. There are seemingly greater dangers associated with riches as you dig through the New Testament. back to our beatitude what did christ say blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god 
continuing through the New Testament here, let me throw in one more piece of this puzzle. Do you remember Hannah's prayer I I, I mentioned earlier? God makes rich, God makes poor. Remember that? We see at the very beginning of Luke, we actually already covered this, Mary prays a prayer that is reminiscent of these things. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And just in case there's any confusion, what she's talking about, she goes this route, and she says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And wrapped up right next to this beginnings of the gospel message being presented. We have a heart's desire of the have-nots becoming the haves. And the haves becoming the have-nots. And it's very close to the gospel. God makes poor, God makes rich. And so I'm going to put this up here as well. Poverty tends. Notice, not always. Many times, poverty tends to lead to the gospel. Now, I need to throw in here a side note. When I preached this the first time in the Sermon on the Mount, leading up to this, I had some issues with cars. They tend to break down on me. And I was having that left and right leading into this. And so my tendency was to jump right back into it. Because, because I will say there's something to that. There's some element of that. When you when you got nothing, many times it, it stirs within us. Lord! Does it not? When your car just stops running. Do you ever do that? Lord, please. There's a tendency, the, the, the poverty and, and realizing when, when, when things get taken away, there's a tendency and it, it can work that in us. But like I mentioned before, poverty has its own issues. In fact, it's important to note, and let me throw this commentary quote up here. He says, he being Jesus, not blessing poverty in itself. Remember, he's talking to people who've chosen to follow him. That can be easily, easily be a curse as a blessing, that Proverbs 30, right? I mentioned already. Nor is he, as some hold, pronouncing a blessing on one social class that, like, the poor people are blessed, the rich people, you know, get out of here. Because, frankly, this is for something, this poverty that most have is for something they did not choose and would escape if they could. Right? How many of us in poverty, when we've been there, And we've had an opportunity to get out of it, didn't take it, and that wouldn't be a smart thing to do. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I need to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to be honest here. All of us really um, have it pretty good. Um, Poverty. There, There are places in the world where people live like that. Or worse. Right? This one blows me away because I'm thinking, like, that is just trash. Where is this place? 
waiting for the dump truck to empty to see what they can scavenge out of it. I mean, in my poorest of poor moments, I've never been there. <laughs> you wouldn't have to worry about your car breaking down, that's for sure. And I could give you some statistics just to let you know what this one is. Sometimes people measure poverty and they say, oh, there's so much poverty in America compared to... But if you look at consumption levels per person, like within a year, um, the lowest 20%, this is U.S. lowest 20%, these are like the highest nations. This is not income, this is outgo. A lot of times when they look at poverty levels, they're not looking at everything else. That Yeah, maybe this person doesn't have any income, but they're getting other benefits. There's charitable organizations in America. There's things that are going on. There's government programs. There's lots of different things that you get, and you're able to get food. You're able to get these things. You're able to get housing. And so when you look at the outgo, even the lowest 20% in America still rank up here. And genuine poverty, like we see in other nations, is almost, not impossible, but almost unheard of here in this country. And even if none of this was true, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room owns a handheld computer, a cell phone. You've got cars, you've got houses. We're rich, comparatively speaking, to the world. Even in our poorest states, when some of you are like, I remember when I was eating my mayonnaise sandwiches. You had a mayonnaise sandwich. And you got the mayonnaise out of a refrigerator. Right? In a very real way, we've been able to have our cake and eat it too. And what I mean by that, we've, we've lived in a Christian nation. And we've had stuff. But as we've done this, I think we've lived out that proverb and gotten rich and started to say, who's the Lord? Let's go back to Luke. The flip side of the blessed are the poor is the verse 24. Woe. Woe is a very typical prophetic pronouncement of coming doom sadness sorrow it's the opposite blessed woe and what does it say here woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation just earlier in luke chapter 2 we had a man named simeon who was waiting for the consolation of israel the comfort of israel the messiah to come for the rich in a very real way many of them the woe is because they have received their savior already i think this is precisely where christ is at where we're at now let me go back on full circle here that divide in jesus's day there's a lot of have-nots that are finding Jesus, and he sure seems like he's pointing to turning everything upside down. And the have-nots are going to get to become the haves. And the haves are going to get turned into the have-nots. 
and they're all for it. We're going to find out before this book is over, there's people even in his inner circle that have that same issue. You're going to find that that's exactly the problem that Judas Iscariot has. Judas Iscariot is going to find out, and a lot of these people are going to find out, they hitched their (laughs) ride to a car that was headed to a cross. But we've had a pretty good... We've enjoyed something that very few generations of Christians and very few Christians around the globe have been able to enjoy. We've been able to be Christians and we've been able to have our stuff. We're at a bit of a divide ourselves. I've noticed that some that are flocking towards Jesus are, it's less about Jesus, and more about this idea that Jesus might be the one that can keep them from getting our stuff. Those people on the left, they're, taking our, they're going to take our stuff. Take our freedoms. Take our income. Take this. We can do this. And I see people turning to Christ for the same reasons they did it there, because they go, he's going to keep us. He's going to turn this around, man. And you're praying, Lord, kill them all. <laughs> Give us back our stuff. Because they're coming for us. And I got the pride out of our cold, dead fingers. And here we are. And as much as Jesus, and he sees this split, I feel the, the same way. And I'm, gonna, I'm stepping back. I'm I'm no prophet, but I'm telling you right now, I believe in the depths of my being that we are headed towards a second split coming up for the people that are over here. We're going to find out that there are some that are on the right because they want to be right. And there's some that over here because they're just still clinging to Christ. And we're going to see it go. In this verse... Though we've been able to cling to it in small ways. And we really like the Matthew version because it just said poor in spirit. I got, I got a spirit of poverty. Right? And there's some truth to that. Like knowing I don't have anything apart from him. Yeah, that's great. But we might be seeing a day in our lives where we get, get to experience What the majority of Christians throughout history have experienced. To be poor and have the kingdom at the same time. I know some of you don't like that. I want to have the kingdom and be rich. Because Lord knows I could do a lot of good things with my riches. I think we may see a time, once again, I'm no prophet, but I think we could see a time. And I've thought about this in the last week. Um, Without going into great detail, as you know, there's things astirring at the high school in our public education system. In a month like this month, to not get on board, you start to feel very much like an outsider. And you start having questions, am I going to have a job? If I don't affirm what they tell me to affirm. 
There's a bunch of other heartbreaking elements of that, especially because I, I went into education because I love kids. And that gets called into question in the days that we live. But I take consolation that this is not, I'm not the first one that gets, that gets called into question over. It happened to the guy that I'm following, Christ himself. So I've got a piece of advice for you in connection with this. This verse could be in our lifetimes. This is going to sound weird. If we're fortunate, this might be the kind of verse we cling to when we lose the jobs and they come and take our stuff and we're just destitute. And we're going to go back to a verse like this and go, we have the kingdom. We're blessed. So you ready for the piece of advice? I'm getting ready to cue it up here. And it's the kind of advice my wife goes, seriously, honey, I'm sorry. But I think you need to take this seriously, as silly as it looks. I'm just going to put it up there. The ride is going to get bumpy. But we've already got the kingdom. And you've been able to hold on to your stuff for a long time, but I don't think... Now, some of, you, some of you might make it to the end of your life and still have your stuff. That's not an old person joke. I'm just saying. I don't know the timetable. But man, doesn't it seem like things are progressing quickly? We could see it. And I think we need to stop holding on to the... Because some of you are going to find... When, the more it gets that way and it starts to look that way, the more you're, you're stuff and you didn't even know it. You start to realize you're going to have some white knuckles holding on to that stuff. And it's your strong tower in your mind. It's your fortress in your mind. But we need to be a people that are going to say, God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm going to go a step further and say, we might, unlike a generation ahead of us, we might have the opportunity, by God's grace, to live that. And I'm trying to encourage you to stop going, my number one prayer is, Lord, maybe you'll still turn this around. I think you might need to start praying, God, I, I want the opportunity before I die to lose it all for you. Not every generation gets that opportunity. All right, I'm not going to end there. I have a piece of advice from Paul for in the meantime. You need a meantime? Because some of you are like, I'm going to have to think about that one for a little bit, Matt, because I still kind of like my stuff. Okay? And it still makes me feel pretty good because I got my stuff. And like if things start going bad, I go, hey, I had a lot of stuff, so I'm still pretty good. Some of you are going, I don't really have any stuff, so I'm already okay. <laughs> Amen, Simone. <laughs> you know, when we all get all our stuff taken away, you know who's going to be guiding us on how to deal with it? Simone. <laughs> She'll be like, I've been doing this for years. 
some advice for those that have stuff from Paul the Apostle. As for the rich in this present age, it's not impossible. Charge them not to be haughty. You may need to print this out, put it on your wall, make it a beautiful sign. Get it on that old barn wood. You could spend a couple hundred dollars. No, that would just be wrong then. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not. This is the charge. I have to say this to myself too. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing okay. As for the rich in this present age, don't be haughty, number one. Number two, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't. No bit of your hope for surviving should be based on your stuff. Not one shred of your hope for making it through should be based on, I got stuff. Whether that be um, rations or an arsenal. <laughs> I know some of you got some rations and arsenals, and I might be coming to your house, so I'm just saying. But that's not where hope is. And if that guy's all gets taken away, we got to be the kind of people that go, I haven't lost a shred of hope. When you're sitting in prison, you're going to be the kind of people that go, praise Jesus. I got the kingdom. And we'll still look at each other and go, how you doing? Blessed. Right? When I pass you in the cell. Oh, hey, how you doing? Blessed. Me too. That's the kind of people we need to be. And start preparing our minds to be. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. I, now, I'm going be honest right now. I like those next two words, to enjoy. There's, right? But what are we to do? Do good. God's bless you. Do good with your stuff. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold now on what truly is life. If you are on the boat and you're going living the blessed life, I would say you are missing it. Because what is truly life has nothing to do with that stuff. And the best you can do with the stuff is give it away. That's hard. And I'm going to end by saying that. That's hard. Every single one in this room, I think, we all have uh, a love of our stuff, if for no other reason, for our enjoyment and for our security and for our safety. And we may find that we have a lot more hope built on our stuff than we realize. And this text is clear. 
blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Woe to the rich, for they have their consolation. Heavenly Father, as I close today, we're going to partake of communion together. And Lord, I just ask that as we partake of this, that we, Lord, that you would begin to find ways to, to shed us of the hope that is founded in our stuff. Lord, if our future contains the grand, glorious opportunity to be defrauded of all of our stuff for the sake of the name, we want to be ready to not lose that hope in that moment. So God, as we partake today, let us partake of you and God begin to do that work in our hearts. shed every ounce of hope in our stuff and put it all on you. I hope not a person in this room has already received their consolation. I hope instead, like Abraham, we have our eyes set on another country, another land, that kingdom that's waiting for us, that we've already taken possession of. In Christ's name, amen.